Oh, control your mind, control your life. Think different theory, baby. That's what we do. Warning. I, I do got to give you a fair warning. There's going to be explicit language in this episode. I just know it. My guest is. He's not a clean mouth person, all right? And we, we're okay with that. We still love him. So normally we're a pretty clean show, but, you know, guys, we're going into topics that matter. So we're just going to bring him right on. Welcome to the show, Mr. J.R. Revis, man. What's up? Yo, yo, yo. What up? Welcome to season three. Yo. Uh, I got some crazy stuff on the agenda for today. Do you? Yeah. Guys, we hopped on this, this stream like 10 seconds ago. So we don't even have an agenda really figured out. That's the most beautiful thing about this, this new uh, season. We're not, we're not prepping anything. We're just rocking and rolling with it. Joe Rogan style. And to see what happens. So, um, so what do you want to talk about first? I don't know, dude. How you been? Yeah, okay, I'll give I'll give a quick breakdown. Because, All right, um, oh, you you have a, a legit agenda? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I've I've thought through some talking points. All right. So, uh, what's up, everybody? My name is Jr. I'm uh, 26 years old. I started my first business at 18. Whoa. Grew up poverty, single mother. I didn't know you were going to introduce yourself. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Continue, continue. <laughs> didn't meet my dad till I was eight years old, and uh, um. Yeah, so now I'm, I employ people. Life's good. We have a pretty successful business, and uh, that I'm super proud of. And I get to hang out with cool people like Josh every day. So um, it'd be great if we could talk about the debate since that was yesterday. Yeah, dude. All right. So for those of you that are wondering, yes, the debate wasn't actually yesterday when this airs. It's a little bit pre-recorded. We do these things. Yes, dude. What was that? Yo, that was so. I didn't watch the whole thing, but um, why not? Did you turn it off because you were just too? So I I was at a friend's house, and then mm. uh, I don't think they wanted to watch the the whole thing. Yeah. Um. Plus, it it just got kind of redundant. So I figured, like, if if they're just gonna be interrupting each other over and over again, uh, then I was just or mainly Trump's gonna be interrupting Biden over and over again. Then I'll just catch the highlights so that I can just kind of get the the main talking points that but, way. But but Jr. Here's the deal. Here's the highlights. Wrong interruption. 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 No, you're wrong. You're wrong, Mr. President. Will you please respect the time, Mr. President? Mr. President. Mr. No, Chris. 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 I need to be able to answer the question. Biden. Would you just shut up? And that's all you need to know. That was the presidential debate. So the thing is, like, if you've ever seen an actual debate, like in high school, college, whatever. Um, you lose points if you interrupt the other right. person. It's actually scored. But because there's no consequences for interrupting, like if you know someone could say something that could make you look bad or that's that you, you just want more screen time or whatever, then there's no consequences for interrupting. So I think that – do you think that uh, Trump went into it with his game plan of like, I'm just going to interrupt the shit out of him? Or Dude, I don't know. Like I <sighs> – I want to think no, but like, I feel like Trump treated it as a press conference, not, not a debate. You know what I mean? Like he mm -hmm. treated Joe Biden as a reporter. He was the dude and Chris Wallace was just in his way. Yeah, it was, um, it was cringy, but I don't know, man. I'm, uh, I was, I don't think anyone was swayed by that debate, which is typically supposed to be the, the point. Well, I would say, I would say for the first time, like, you know, my stance on Trump, it's been four years. There's nobody that's like, Oh, I wonder what Josh thinks of Trump. Right? Like I'm pretty vocal, but like for the first time I got done with that debate, 
I, I got done watching that debate and I was like, yo, Trump could lose the election. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. between his tax returns coming out and Dwayne Johnson, you see Dwayne Johnson endorsed Biden and Harris. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. big time, big time endorsement. And then that I'm like, dude, if you don't like. Yo, so I kind of want to go on the record about Trump's tax returns. Yeah, let's do um, it. Because I used to do taxes. So, uh, you have such I an mean, interesting life story, dude. <laughs> you know, my, uh, Joel yesterday we were hanging out and, uh, I actually have a, a cool story to tell you later on. Okay. Um, but he's like, you gotta be crazy to be an entrepreneur. Like, and then I like walked in, we were at, we work. He's like, like, look at Jr. He started a tax business at 18. He's like, who's sitting there at 18? He's like, you know what? I think it's taxes. <laughs> and I yeah, was for like, real. you know, you're kind of right. So, um, anyways, so I realized number one, um, so people, number one, did the tax return itself come no. out because I couldn't find it. And I'm okay. like, okay, so yeah, definitely some fuckery if I can't actually find the tax return. Okay. So yeah, let's clear that up. For those of you that are wondering, the New York times got their hands on some leaked data from somebody that supposedly had access to the tax returns. Yeah. Like that, like the tax returns have not been released. Trump has not released them. Nobody's released them. There is apparently leaked data, and that's what they're going off of. So hypothetically, all this is complete garbage, and it's not true. There's no truth to it whatsoever. But right. we're pretending that it is real. Okay. So let's say let's say it is real that he paid seven hundred fifty dollars and then paid nothing. So number one, first thing to note, people, the the statement Trump did not pay any taxes fundamentally not true because. There's payroll taxes that you have to pay. Like anybody who out there who works the job and you look at your your W-2 or your pay stub every two weeks or every week, and you look at the taxes that were get getting taken out, the what's actually owed is double that, but your employer pays half. So for every person in the company, the employer pays on top of what the, the employee's paying, they pay that same exact thing. So when you look at the statement that says like Trump didn't pay any taxes, he might not have paid federal income tax, which we can also talk about, but he definitely paid some tax because you, there's no way around payroll tax. There's no way around property tax. There's no way around sales tax. So there's no well, way around. And, and, this, and this seven, I mean, they said it was $750 of federal income tax, right? I mean, I, I, I know that. I know that most people think of that as that is all of your taxes, right? right. I see all, I saw all these people posting like, I paid $138,000 in taxes last year. I was like, yeah, I, I know for darn sure that's not what you paid in federal income tax. Like I know how much, like roughly how much you make. And they're like, Dude. I'm like, that also includes your payroll tax. That includes your, you know, your yeah. income, your state income tax. So yeah. like that was federal was only, but like there's so many loopholes to that too. So then secondly, let's say he did pay 750 in federal income tax. Um, the law allows you to set up corporations in other countries like Ireland that have a 10% tax. So my guess is Trump is probably taking his profits in Ireland legally. And I'm sure he has all the loopholes to do it. Ireland or whatever other country um, legally that has been allowed. Like when, uh, when Joe Biden asked him, you know, he, he told him like, oh, you didn't pay any taxes. And Trump's like, well, these are the tax loopholes that you uh, that you passed. Um, so not that him personally, but his party and whoever else. Right. And I don't even but, know. No, but actually it was him though. Like Joe Biden was literally the one that co-wrote the bill that allowed so many of the tax loopholes that Trump uses. Now Biden right. might not have known that those loopholes were going to be taken to consideration, but like his name was actually on the bill. 
Right. Okay. So thanks for clearing that up. So then what my best guess, and we won't know until we see the tax returns, is he's taken his profits from his businesses in the US from Ireland. And then he takes his uh, depreciation on his US income, whatever that is, depreciation from his buildings in the in the US because he has to, that has to be filed on the US tax return. That can't be filed like on an Irish tax return. Um, so he probably depreciates against his US income and it ends up at a loss because he actually took all his profits in Ireland, again, legally. So he's probably paying like 10% tax in Ireland. He's paying very little to no uh, federal income tax in the US, which every other corporate Apple, do you think Apple pays federal income tax in the US? You can, this is public information. Like you can look it up, Apple, Amazon, they all do the same thing. So the fact that the, the, the narrative that I've seen people paint um, over the last 48 hours is that what he was doing was illegal and that he's going to, but, uh, and the other thing too, so my, when I worked at a public company, the guy that I worked for, we talked about this, like what's the likelihood, I worked at a public company that did taxes um, at scale, 4,000 locations. And the guy that I worked for, we talked about audits all the time. And one thing he said was, if you are in the top 1%, your likelihood of getting audited year over year is like 95%. He said, personally, I get audited every single year. So Trump's most likely been under audit. He says he's been under audit for the last 10 years, um, which I believe because at, at that skill, you find one thing that's wrong or messed up or botched. It's worth hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, right? Or So why more. wouldn't they? Right, exactly. So yeah. um, when you look at like people say like, oh, he had, you know, $70,000 worth of haircuts and all this other stuff, which again, we don't know. And then we all, he also says, um, they also say he was paying his daughter as an employee and a contractor. Well, she could have actually been an employee and a contractor and had they had the legal agreement and she's been doing employee work and contractor work. And if it was illegal, then the IRS would have disallowed that exemption, that deduction in prior years. And then he would have had to pay taxes on that money plus penalties and interest. So if he's been under audit and he hasn't had to pay any penalties and interest, then everything he's been doing is is fine. It's legal under the U.S. tax code. Right. Right. And I am 100% agree with with you on all that. What I find ironic is I don't think, and I, I'm going to overgeneralize here, obviously, left versus right, pro-Trump versus negative Trump, whatever. I understand it's not everybody is this way, but like uh, the left is basically arguing that how dare he only pay X number in taxes? How dare he? And I'm like, but if that's the law, Dude. who cares? Do you think that I'm going to willingly give the government more than I need to, to be a good person so that they can mismanage my funds? Well, it, it like when the constitution was written and all the tax laws were originally written and I forget who said it, but you can actually go back and there's literally in writing from the initial like tax law and, and the initial stuff with the constitution. And I'll have to look up exactly who said it, but it's like, there is no something, the effect of, I need a Jamie in my life. I need someone to like, Whenever I say something, they can just like search it. But it's like, there's no nobility or it is not American to willingly try to increase or pay more taxes. Right. Like it's not even Amer like it's literally right there. It's not American to do it. So if you have the ability to pay little taxes or as little taxes as possible, you should do that. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's everybody does and everybody will like because my because. Let's say I pay $100,000 in taxes. If I can decrease that by $50,000 and only pay in $50,000 in taxes, the remaining balance of $50,000 is better managed and better off in my hands than it is in the hands of the government.
I agree a hundred percent. So let me ask you this kind of taking a twist on this. I want to, I want to know your thoughts on taxes in general, because there's a lot of people, you know, like Steve Larson taxation is theft. It's un-American. We should not pay any taxes. I'm like, all right. So I inherently don't actually have any problem with paying taxes. All right. Like to live in the country that we get to live in, like, yeah, I feel like taxes are high here. Right. But if it was between paying more or having to go live in like Bangladesh or something, I'll pay more. Right. So here's my thought process because no the offense idea, to Bangladesh. But. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening from Bangladesh, you're awesome, but your country sucks. No, I'm just kidding. All right. But my th- thought process is, is so how do we fix the tax problem? Right. Because like nobody wants to pay taxes. Uh, how do we make sure that our money is actually going to anything? Because like, my thing is just like, why do we even need taxes? Do the government just goes and prints money? Like, dude, we just print the $3.5 trillion and got rid of it in six months. Like where the actual heck did that go? Yeah. So I kind of, I've thought about this a lot. So here's one of the main things that made me think that the government, so you could, for a long time, people have been saying like the government mismanages money. And yeah, I was like, you know, maybe, but like, where's the evidence? And then a guy by the name of Elon Musk came along and found oh, yeah. <laughs> a rocket for like one, one hundredth the cost or whatever um, the, that the U S government was doing it at. So I looked at that and I'm like, okay, if they're wasting all this money, how much are they wasting on or, or just leaking? Because it's not that these sectors aren't run by entrepreneurs or entrepreneur type people. Um, how much money are they leaking on just other random things? So my proposed solution is privatize the crap out of everything. Like, so there's this whole thing right now, uh, defund the police, which I think is, is just a narrative that's being pushed and that no one really actually wants. But dude, um, I thought so. I thought so, dude. I thought so until I interviewed people. I literally had them on my show. Like people that are like, no, dude, there's an article in the New York Times, literally in the New York Times. This is the I, I want to read you this headline. Okay. New York Times. This is not some, you know, satire, humorous, funny thing that people are just like, oh, that's funny. Here's the actual headline. Hold on, I gotta pull this up because I, I read it. And I was like, you gotta be absolutely kidding me. All right. Actual headline is yes, we literally mean abolish the police. Like what? What? You would think nobody means that until they write articles like that. And they literally come on and are like, yes, we literally mean get rid of them. Yo. So I I'm very hesitant to speak on like solutions to problems because a lot of the times, like I just don't have all the facts and I see other people trying to speak to solutions. And I'm like, you're just kind of using the rectal extraction method for that solution. But I think that the the way to solve the the issue right now with the cops is something I've been saying for a while, which is privatize the police. So yes, we mean literally abolish the police because reform won't happen. So I think that a better solution would be not just privatize the police, privatize every like sector of the government. Um, but let's say you do privatize the police. So when let's say that two private companies come into where I live in Denver and they are essentially the police force, right? Along with the regular police. And when you dial 911, it goes round robin style. Like this person calls, it'll go to the city. Second person goes to this company. Third person goes to this company, right? So let's say that we test that out for like two years. And then at the end of two years, we do an evaluation and we say who had the best response times? who had the lowest amount of complaints. 
who had the most uh, cases resolved in in a um, in a favorable way. And then at the end of two years, the public, the city votes, which one of these three are we going to keep? And then all the funding from the police shifts to that company. So that because essentially you're introducing competition, which is going to make these companies want to essentially it's a, it's a high value contract by the government. So it's going to make these companies want to compete, which is going to cause uh, nicer cops <laughs> that follow the rules a little bit better. And it's driven by the public. So you can't be mad at it because we literally voted this company into play. And then if that company starts getting, or every five years, we do the same thing. Every 10 years or whatever, we do the same thing where we introduce another company that starts to compete for that contract. Question. So in theory, great idea. Let me stress test it. Um, Whenever you privatize something, and keep in mind, I'm like the biggest capitalist ever. I think everything should be privatized, right? So I'm in agreement with you. But like, when you privatize something, when you run something as a business, there is a product and there is a customer, right? Right. And so in this particular case, the product that they would be selling, the police force or this you know privatized police force would be selling, would be amount of cases, let's call them solved, whether that's crime stopped, you know, accidents responded to whatever, what have you. I mean, there'd, there'd have to be KPIs like response time, overall, right. like public happiness. Right. So there's the, right. Th this is the product, right? That's what they're selling. And the buyer is essentially, it's essentially the government, but you know, the people the slash tidy, the government, yeah, right? Tidy. Yeah. Right. Okay. Whenever you want to sell something, you want more and more and more inventory right? Because you want to sell more of it. So like the same thing that happened with like the social dilemma and like Facebook users, their buyers are not the users of Facebook. The buyers are the big tech company, you know, other, other big right. data companies, right? So would that inherently cause um, these companies to want to like have crime go up in certain areas so that they had more things to respond to so that they can show that they were doing a better job and fighting more crime and getting rid. Like, would it cause a problem that they are both providing the, I mean, they're providing the solution, but they could inherently also provide the problem. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So let's, in so in theory, like, let's say you, uh, at, at an extreme level, pay someone to rob a bank so that you could catch them and a then super play. extreme level, but yes. yeah. All right. And then, you know, be the hero in the newspaper and then win that vote. Right. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but what well, like, kind so of corrupt shit happens right now? I, I mean, yeah, I feel that, but like, that's but, but the, the only problem is there's no accountability right now. Like if you do something like that and you get caught, then your company's not going to be the company that the public trusts or uses anymore. That's, I guess that's true. I guess that's so, true. Now, like, let's say that were to happen right now where the cops wanted to stage a robbery so that they could, <laughs> what would happen? A suspension, a paid leave. <laughs> so there's more, I think with the system, there's more accountability. So no, what's, what's totally screwed up is that chances are that if somebody robbed a bank, they'd probably be put in jail for a long period of time if they were done it. But if they killed a black dude, they'd probably put on, be put on paid leave. That's the, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah. Um, so um, do you want to get into the police? Sure, uh, dude. I, we race, we can talk about police race issue. We I do, but I want to I want to address this 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 thing one more time. And I actually have something on taxes about this as well. Okay, so here, this whole tax thing is actually very interesting to me. I'm okay with paying taxes, but I think that 
we should get to decide where our taxes go. Let me explain. I have this idea where let's, I'm just going to make this math easy numbers for us. Let's just assume I have to pay 40% in taxes. I know that's high. All right. But let's just, let's just assume. All right. With this system of the amount that I, so let's say I make a hundred thousand dollars in a year, I'm going to pay $40,000 in, in taxes. All right. Which is high, but Democrat run state. Let's pretend. Okay. So you pay 40 grand in. Of that 40 grand, I think that there needs to be a percentage of that money, 10 to 15%, that goes to the federal government to do two things. Number one, military. We have to have a military. And number two, to pr promote economic growth, right? Those I feel like are, that's the essential job of the federal government. So let's say I pay 15% of that 40 grand in. So I don't know, what, what is that? Like seven grand, right? That I pay in to the federal government. The remaining $33,000 that I have to pay in in taxes, I literally get to go in and pick the organizations that I want to support as a society and where that tax money is going to go. So I can decide whether I want it to go to roads or whether I want it to go to schools or, or parks or homeless shelters or medical supplies or the police or like wherever. I literally go and get to decide exactly where my tax dollars are going so does everybody else. And we literally let the system work itself out. And what gets fun, like where, like let people put their money where their mouth is literally. So it's like, yes, you have to pay taxes, but you get to decide where a majority of that money goes. What's the problem with that? Or is in there? Theory, one? I think in theory, it sounds good. But so then I guess what would happen is these individual sectors of the government would then hire like lobbyists and then people would market for your tax dollars. For and sure. Then, some mass manipulation would start on that level as well. But I still like that better than, than what, what's happening now. That's what I'm saying. Like right now we get, to, we get to decide one thing. Like, yo, who do you vote for every two years? Essentially, right? And president four years. And I'm like, I feel like there's a better way to get the public involved. And if these people are actually, listen, if you don't want to fund the police, great. Then take your tax dollars and go put it into something else. And for those people that do want to fund the police, great. Take your tax dollars away from something else that's important to you and put it towards the police. And every year you get to decide where your tax dollars go for that year. Yeah. But that also could, could create like a very disproportionate society because sure. rich people uh, that pay the most taxes, um, the one percenters are going to fund the things that favor them. Unless you're Donald which Trump. <laughs> going to make um, life essentially worse for middle-class and poor people. Because let's say the top 1% pays, I don't know how many, what percentage of the taxes, but let's say it's like 50%. Well, okay. In, a, in New York City, it is. In New York City, 1% of people pay 50% of the taxes. Yeah, I believe that. So then they're going to fund the things that benefit them and not like, I guess, social programs and stuff like that that benefit poor people. Plus, also keep in mind, 40% of people in this country pay no tax. Like if you are, let's say you make $60,000. Really? Yes. I, so I did, I'll explain. So I did taxes and we did, I think a collectively like 1300 tax returns. And of those 1300 tax returns, I'd say 900 to 1100 uh, from our particular location, which it was a low income area paid zero tax because let's say you, your household income $60,000 a year and you have, or let's say 60, 70, 50, whatever. And let's say you have three kids, typical American family. Um, you get a tax refund. So 
you're paying all these taxes, right? Throughout the year, you get that back. Plus you get a tax credit for each child under 17 for a thousand dollars. Um, you get a re refundable tax credit called the earned income credit based on your income, which let's say you make dude. So when I had the tax business, I would see somebody come in that made $15,000 all year and had four, four kids and their tax return would be $8,000. So if it's a tax refund, how is this person getting $8,000 if they only paid in all year, like $1,000, barely, uh, you know, not even uh, 10%. So um, it's because there's tax credits called the earned income tax credit is, is one of them. There's the child tax credit. And they essentially get back more than what they paid in because essentially the, the, as the tax law is written, it's essentially like, Hey, you didn't make enough money this year. So here's eight grand so that you can sustain your family and that you can, you know, survive. So, but like, so they literally, they got back significantly more money than they actually paid in. Okay. So I'll do this. Cause I know like I, uh, this might be the first time that a lot of people are hearing of this, but in my, so dude, my tax office, one of my tax offices paid out like $3 million in tax refunds. And the average income in that area was $20,000. How is that possible? Right? So why are, I'll, why are these people complaining about tax, ta Donald Trump's taxes? <sighs> because they, I don't know. I guess the way most people see it is like taxes are going to go up on them. But Donald Trump cut the corporate tax, which affects like, you know, business owners and corporate and not even so real quick on that, on that too, while we're on that topic, um, the corporate tax Donald Trump cut from 28% to 21% is if you have a C corporation. So what that means is let's say I incorporate my business as a C corp, the tax, my flat effective tax rate is 21%. So, but that doesn't mean that my tax rate is 21% because now if I move over that money from my business to personal, now I have to pay taxes on that personally as well. So you get a double tax. So the C Corp is really, and this is, this is fucking mind blowing because the, the, they say they cut the taxes on the wealthy, but let's say like Jeff Bezos wanted to move company money from his business to him personally. He now pays taxes on that through the business, 21%. And then he also has to pay taxes on that personally. So the only way that benefits you is if you keep the tax, if you keep the money in the business, as soon as you move the money out of the business, you get double taxed on it. So that's why a C Corp is a great structure for when you're growing a big business and you don't need to take money out of it because you get taxed at a lower rate. But if the money's staying in the business, it's getting used to grow the business, jobs, business expenses, research and development, et cetera. Which is why like when Biden says, I want to raise the tax rate back up to 20%, I'm like, that's the fucking stupidest thing ever. And the only reason he's saying that is because people hear that and they're like, oh, they're raising taxes on the rich. When it, that's not- But it takes, it, but it literally takes, it takes incentive away from the rich. Like I think my biggest, the biggest thing that I feel like Democrats, people on the left, people that don't understand taxes, well, that's just the issue. These people that want to raise taxes on the wealthy is they don't understand how the tax code of the wealthy actually works. And they don't understand, like when they hear Amazon pays zero in taxes, number one, Amazon is not paying zero in taxes. It's paying zero in federal taxes. And on top of that, the only reason that they're able to pay zero in federal taxes is because they're somehow, some way taking that money and leaving it in the company in a tax deductible 
format. And the exactly. reason that tax deductible or tax incentives exist, the literal reason that these incentives for companies exist is because the government comes along and they're like, hey, listen, we know that if you do this activity, this activity, or this activity, that directly correlates to growing the economy, to better jobs, to higher wages, to whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. So they're like, hey, listen, we could either take your tax money and that wouldn't do us anything because it wouldn't get us any closer to our goal. Or if you spend your money this way, you put your money in this location, we're going to give you a tax credit because it's accomplishing what it is that you want us to accomplish. I don't think people get that. Exactly. So they see the corporate tax rate lowered and they think like, you know, Jeff Bezos is pulling that money out and blowing it on a mansion. Whereas <laughs> no, if he were to pull it out, he's going to pay over 50% tax at that point on that money. So there's no, like, it doesn't make sense to raise it. So I'm, I pulled up a refund calculator here. I'm going to run, I'm going to run some numbers for you in a sec. I'm just, right, I'm just kind of preparing it. Let's do it. Um, so I'm, I'm running this as like a, uh, 26 year old, uh, married person that, um, made, let's say $20,000 all year and they're $20, total withholding. for the year. Yeah. So they would, be they would be considered living in poverty, right? State. So, okay. And let's say twenty thousand uh, dollars no. joint household income. Do do can you can you change it? So I'll change it, but I want to show you okay, how much right. your you'd get at this uh, at this level, right? So I'm adding. Let's say they have three kids, um, all under seventeen, um, and that's it, right? So twenty thousand dollars joint household income. From their their paycheck, fifteen hundred dollars of federal tax was withheld, and they live so essentially living in poverty. Three kids, welfare, all that stuff. They're already getting welfare, so they're already getting food stamps. They're already getting uh, Medicaid. Uh, they're already getting these government programs. Estimated refund calculator according to TurboTax, ten thousand six hundred and eighty one dollars to someone who made twenty thousand dollars a year because they have three kids. So isn't that incentivizing someone who's in poverty to have more kids? That's always been my argument. When I And when I started doing taxes, I was like, dude, there's people here. There's people that are like, oh, if I have another kid, I'm going to get an extra $5,000 a year from the government. But, uh... And as you know, like humans work based off of in incentives. So the more you incentivize. And everybody tax... loves sex. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean, though? Like okay, so you wanted me to put in, let's say, twenty four. I want, I want, to, I want to put do twenty four thousand, two thousand dollars a month. Everybody can do. Everybody can relate to this. You make two thousand bucks a month. Person or per household? Per household. Per where household. I did taxes, the so some people might say, well, twenty thousand dollars a year. Who's making that much? But where I did taxes in Allentown, Pennsylvania, Center City, Allentown, Pennsylvania, the average income, and you can look this up on the IRS website per zip code, it'll tell you the average income is nineteen thousand dollars a year. Okay. So now let's go to a normal person that has to pay taxes. So let's do a, uh, a upper middle class educated person that has three kids combined okay, married, married three kids combined household is 120,000 a year. Okay. So on that, um, so 10,000 bucks a month, they'd probably get withheld from their federal income, from their paycheck for federal income tax, um, probably around 20 to 25%. So they probably would have had, let's say 20K withheld 
on their federal income tax return. Okay, so um, they have $20,000 taken out. Right. And let's say single income or even joint income. Um, and then do they have kids? Three kids. So that person gets back $13,245. But it's because they paid in way more. So they're essentially getting the same money that they paid in back. Whereas in well, scenario number one, you're so, getting. Okay, but, but okay. So just, just to clarify. So if you have three, joint household income is 120,000. They had 20,000 taken out in federal income tax. Mm -hmm. federal income tax, right? And keep in mind, yep. this does not include state income tax or any of the other thing, but they had $20,000 in federal income tax taken out of it. So then they basically paid in 20 grand. They kept a hundred thousand dollars in their, like in their bank account or paid to themselves. They're going to get a refund of $13,000. Right. So essentially they would have paid like $7,000 in taxes because totally. you get deductions for kids. So if we, let's say we switch this and let's Yo, say they have no, no dependents. Yeah. Let's have no kids. How much do they... How much they got paying taxes? Dang, that's crazy. No wonder my parents could afford to live. That's nuts. No, no kids. They get back eight thousand seven hundred forty-five dollars. So they're that's still, still getting, crazy though. They're still getting that a refund. Yeah. So the, like in the with in these scenarios on a W two, you're fairly well off under our tax code until you start making like exorbitant amounts of money. I don't get why people complain about taxes, man. <laughs> Why do people want to raise their taxes too? I don't know. I just, I find it crazy that we are like, I think that, I think the big problem is dude, is that most people, the only way that they see that somebody contribute can contribute to making society better is by paying taxes. Like they're like, yo, Donald Trump did nothing for society except pay $750 in taxes. It's like, wh what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, forget him, like pre-president Donald Trump. Forget the thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs that he created. Forget the fact that he helped, re like, literally build massive, amazing shopping, you know, malls at the bottom of hotels and massive towers in New York City. Forget the fact that he donated millions and millions of dollars to charity. Forget all of that. But because he didn't pay in one category of taxes, therefore, he didn't do anything for society. And I think that's the problem right there. So if you make, let's say, 60000 uh, and you're withheld 10%, you still get a refund of $2,000. So on the on the middle class, this is, this is what I'm saying. Like the, the tax burden is not really on the middle class or the poor. So the like, okay, let's say if you made $60,000. And where um, is this, by the way, where what state would this be considered in? Oh, it's um, federal. No, I put it's federal. No, yeah, I put federal, so I didn't put a state. But then on okay, top so, of that, of course, like So Colorado. keep in mind. Right. Keep in mind, guys, there's still state taxes that would be worked into these amounts as well. We're talking strictly federal, strictly federal taxes. Yeah. State taxes typically like anywhere from like 3% to 13% in, in California. Yeah. If you're or, living in psycho California or like Florida, zero, zero percent. Um, and, but they, That's they lit. but the only reason see, I don't know if everybody can do that because Florida makes so much money from tourism that it's insane. And think, think about like the, the city, the, Nevada makes a crap ton of money from tourism as well. Also no state tax, but I don't know if that model is pra practical for everyone. Um, it's not, no, for and sure. Then I think just California is like, they make money from tourism and have the highest uh, state tax. Because there's that huge taxes on the state level from tourism. Because that's how states, a lot of these uh, tourism states make their money. Which is why COVID 
killed a lot. Like Nevada is just, I don't know what they're going to do this year. They're dead. That's going yeah. to be a, a rough time for them. I, I just, I, I legitimately wish people understood the tax code. I, I, and not even the tax code. I wish they realized who's actually bearing the, uh, the, uh, the, the brunt of it. And honestly, I bet you, I bet you the highest taxed, the highest taxed people in America today, I would bet you, I wonder if we could find the statistics on this, would be like millionaires. Definitely. Like, pe- like the people making like between like one and five million dollars a year. I bet you that's the highest taxed because it's like they don't have enough money yet. They're not like billionaire status or like hundred millionaire status to be able to like get all the tax deductions. Yeah. But they've made more than enough. I bet you, you pay close to like 40, 50% taxes if you make between like one and $5 million a year, I bet. Dude, I mean, I pay a lot. I pay a frick load of taxes, but that's and, changing because uh, I'm getting into real estate. It's going to be freaking great. Buy my first yeah, property. And like the, um, the thing is too, like getting these, these, uh, structures in other countries like Ireland and stuff, it costs like 200 grand. Like you need legit really? to do it legit. Cause you got to have super legit lawyers. They have to, you have to get set. So not only, so let's say like, I wanted to structure my business in Ireland. You're in, in order for it to be legit in Ireland, you need the merchant processors there. You need a headquarters there or something that you can use as a headquarters. All your intellectual property has to be owned in Ireland as well. So you need, I, you need attorneys for that. You need attorneys in Ireland. So you need to start paying uh, VAT, the, the VAT, the European tax crap. Whoa. So there is a, there's so much to it that it's not as easy as like, I'm just going to structure in Ireland. If you're trying to do it like legit to where if it was ever challenged, you would be okay. Yeah. What's this? Sam Ovens has a company like headquarters there, doesn't he? Yeah, but even he says like, "Hey, uh, he did that before the tax rate dropped to twenty one percent." He's like, "If it would have dropped to that, I probably wouldn't have done that because it wouldn't have been worth it at that point." Thank you, Donald Trump, for bringing jobs back to America. Oh my gosh! Dude, the the right. biggest thing is like that tax rate. You only benefit if you leave the money in the business, which the only thing you can do with it is like you can't buy a Lamborghini for yourself with money from your business. You have to use it on research and development, hiring people, growing the company, stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what I think people need to realize. Also, I wish uh, mo- most employees have no idea that the, their employer pays like literally half their taxes. For dude, them. I didn't know that until I, when I had the tax office, <laughs> dude, the, so if you, if I was paying someone $8 an hour after payroll taxes, I was probably paying them around like 12 and a half dollars an it's hour. Crazy. It's insane. And so then, so then Trump says like, Hey, we should abolish payroll taxes. And I agree because how many business owners out there don't, they pay their employees as contractors or whatever, so that they can in the U S like when you have a physical location, like going to any restaurant, most of their kitchen staff is paid under the table because of this, this, the payroll taxes are so damn high and people want to avoid them. So, or in this case, evade them. So they just do something essentially illegal rather than just, you know, paying their payroll taxes if they were manageable or reasonable or whatever. So if you were to abolish them, now it would be better because the employees would still have to pay their taxes. So they would see more tax revenue from that because there's so many people under the table. And if you go to any of these, any restaurant, go to any construction site, there's people under the table, seen it all the time. Or just straight 10, yeah, 10, 10, 9 contractors. And as, oh man, there's so much tax education that needs to be done in this country. There's so much of I it. I think I am the only reason I understand it uh, slightly because I still don't understand everything, of course, um, is because number one, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. But number two, I did taxes for four yeah. years. 
So I got to see it firsthand. Guys, here's the best. Was it you or was it Joel that was like, uh, I was talking to Hermosi and was, uh, and tax tip is pay your taxes. Yeah. Was that, was that you or, uh, Joel? Um, Hermosi says that. Yeah. I know. But was it Hermosi told Joel? Joel. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I sat down with Hermosi. And for those of you that don't know who Hermosi is, he runs this big, huge, massive, uh, pays 8 million a year in taxes, 8 million a freaking year. And, And his, his thing was, Hey, listen, let's just go pay your, like, just go pay your taxes. Um, okay. Let's talk race. Cause this is something that, you know, listen, I, we're episode number one. Nobody can call me a racist anymore. JR. <laughs> I have a black person on for the first episode of my podcast. Woo, woo. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, what do you think of everything that's going on right now? So, okay. You're, you're a fan of Ben Shapiro. Um, for I'm sure. a fan of Ben Shapiro because, um, Originally, I didn't like him because he came off as like maybe this guy an arrogant prick. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I started watching his stuff. Um, he went on Joe Rogan. I watched some of his clips, and I'm like, this guy knows his facts. And for example, um, he so right now, I think I don't want to make this whole episode about politics. So I do want to talk about entrepreneurship and stuff. But right now, um, for example, if you look at the Brianna Taylor case, um. Have you have you done research on that at all? Um, enough to know what like supposedly happened, not enough to know if it's complete BS one way or the other. Uh, but I yeah. I, I I know the crux of the story of what right. happened. Yes. So I wasn't there, and you know nobody was there essentially besides these cops. But everyone crying. I, I do believe that there are racist cops. I do believe that racism sure. plays into law enforcement to a degree, right? And we can talk about that. But in this particular case, I don't believe that racism was involved for the simple fact Whoa. that okay. Brianna Taylor's boyfriend shot at a cop and a stray bullet hit Brianna Taylor. If they were racist, why would they not shoot the guy that shot at them first that they had grounds to then shoot? Because he actually hit a cop. He shot and hit a cop in the leg or the knee or something like that. So if I'm a racist cop and I have now full grounds to kill a black person, would I not do it? Why but, Why did that guy make it out alive? But like, weren't they trying to shoot back at him? Right. And they, but they, but why didn't they kill him? I mean... I feel like they were kind of trying to, weren't they? Or maybe not. They may, maybe this is where I don't know it. So like my shot at them. And yeah, then my understanding shot. was he shot. Yeah, he shot first, and then they, they were shooting back. back. Right. And then they hit Brianna Taylor, and I guess somewhere in there there was a scuffle, and they realized like, okay, he put his gun down and didn't keep shooting, or he would be dead. Right. Mm. So as a racist cop in that scenario, th- I just saw this guy shoot at me. Why? And and we hit his girlfriend or whatever. Why wouldn't I? kill him i have all the grounds to if i'm a racist cop i can kill this guy and i know i'm gonna get off because he shot first i mean i don't know the story well enough to to make an informed decision so, off of that so the story has from everything i've kind of gathered was um her boyfriend was selling drugs and yeah. there was a no-knock warrant issued in louisville which is okay for, and, and I want to touch on that really quick, guys. A no knock warrant means they literally don't have to knock, <laughs> right? And they did, right? Allegedly, so we don't no, know if they, they did. Have it eye, they have eyewitness. 
I know that okay. part. The neighbor okay. said they they saw he was either saw or heard them knock on the door. So like that's been confirmed. Okay. So there was a a no knock warrant. They still knocked. There was there was like five warrants uh, issued to be executed at the same time. I think four of the five actually got executed. So this was one of them. And the reason that this one was executed was because he was receiving mail at this address, allegedly, um, which was confirmed by a U.S. Postal Service inspector. So uh, they come, they show up for this no knock warrant. The story from the boyfriend that's still alive was that he didn't hear them knock um, or he was yelling like, who's there or something like that. And uh, they were yelling back. It's the police. He didn't hear them. They didn't hear him. He grabbed a gun. They busted in. He shot. Uh, he says it was a warning shot, but he hit a cop in the leg. So he must have shot. And, and I don't know, maybe ricocheted. Who knows? Um, and then a stray bullet. So I don't know how many shots were fired at that point, but a stray bullet hit Brianna Taylor, who was not sleeping either. She no, was she wasn't. I know that. Yeah. Him. And the story is like, we, you shot a sleeping girl. Because that that's the narrative that the, like the fucked up thing about this is that's the narrative right now that fits the agenda is like you shot a sleeping person because you're racist. And by the way, she was not an EMT. She was let go from the hospital that she was working at for. I can't remember the reason that it was, but it was she did something. And they so they had to let her go. Yeah. And then no, this next part is very relevant. They found a freaking dead body in the backseat of her car a week before this happened. So I've heard, I've heard that. I don't know. I haven't confirmed that, but I feel like if that was true, they would have arrested her or something at this point. So, um, so I don't know. Definitely fact check that one. I'm fact checking it. Keep talking. So, so she came in straight bullet hitter. So my thought is like, okay, if this guy shot, if this guy shot a shot at me and I'm busting in with the police, and I'm the police. Why is this guy still alive? If I'm a racist cop and all I want to do is, is kill people, minorities and people of color. Why is he still alive? That just does not, that does not make sense to me. So I think that what happened is this whole thing happened and they, the story has been misconstrued, misconstrued to fit the narrative right now. But had this happened, you know, not close to an election and, um, you know, not in the times that we are now where people are rioting and all this stuff. It might have been this. This might have been very, very different or reported upon very, very differently. OK, here you go. So Brianna Taylor, uh, Brianna Taylor rented a car in 2016 that was used by her then boyfriend, uh, Jamarcus Glover. In December 2016, Fernandez Bowman was found dead in the car. He had been shot eight times. Taylor, 26, was shot dead inside of her home by Louisville Metro Police Department of, well, okay, we, we know all that. But it was her, she rented the car, it was in her name, and her then-boyfriend back in 2016 literally shot a guy eight times in the car. So, like, like once again, it's like, okay, yes, you're pro innocent until proven guilty and things like that, but, like, I'm gonna. I might get myself in trouble with this, and this is not. This has nothing to do with race. I'm gonna say it anyway. I don't even. I don't even care. Like people can be mad at me. Okay. Like if you're do. Like if you're involved with things like that, you have to understand that bad things could happen in your life. I am in no way saying that it is okay that she is dead. 
that it is not a tragedy that she's dead. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. I don't know if it was intentional, if it was a stray bullet. We, we, we're told it's a stray bullet. But like, yo, if you're involved with boyfriends that kill somebody and shoot them eight times, and then another boyfriend who has a warrant out for his arrest, four of them, apparently, according to what, what we had I heard from you. Um, I know there's no, several. No, there's four um, search warrants executed. Okay, four time. search warrants. Well, I'm on four separate. There was really five, but they did four on four separate properties. Okay. So drug dealer, search warrants, your ex-boyfriend killed somebody in the back of a car that you rented, shot him eight times. Like at some point, like, you know what I mean? Like at some point yeah, you have to understand like, saying, like, as the saying goes, if you lay down with dogs, you come up with fleas. Right. So, and you play with fire, you get, you're going to get burned. Yeah. So I, 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 I totally agree. She was not making wise decisions with her life. Does that. Uh, doesn't justify know, the killing no exactly but let's look at entirety of context yeah and it's super it's super sad like it's tra tragic really she wasn't making good decisions it was a stray bullet she wasn't the one dealing with drugs who knows what actually happened there but does that implicate racism so like, here, i don't here, think that there's any so the, 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 i don't I, dude i'm gonna go on a on a ledge here and say that I don't think that those cops should be charged in that scenario. I think, okay. Well, they weren't. <laughs> the, the George Floyd situation, I think 1,000% that easy. guy should go to jail. Easy, easy. No questions asked. Okay, but here, here, this is a New York Times article. So just for everybody that's like, yo, you're probably looking at some pro-Trump website over there. No, it's the New York Times. They hate Trump, okay? What happened in Louisville? Shortly after midnight on March 13th, Louisville police officers executing a search warrant used a battering ram to enter the apartment of Miss Taylor, a 26-year-old emergency room technician. The police had been investigating two men they believed were selling drugs out of a house that was far from Miss Taylor's home, but a judge had also signed a warrant allowing the police to search Miss Taylor's residence because the police said that they believed one of the men had used her apartment to receive packages. Miss Taylor had been dating that man on and off for several years and had recently severed ties with him, according to her family lawyer. Miss Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, had been in bed but got up when they heard loud banging at the door. Mr. Walker said he and Miss Taylor both called out asking who was at the door. Mr. Walker later told police that he feared it was Mrs. Taylor's ex-boyfriend trying to break in. After police broke uh, the door off its hinges, Mr. Walker fired his gun once. That's Brown as, or Brown Taylor's boyfriend at the time. Striking yeah. Sergeant Madding, uh, Mattingly, Mattingly in a thigh. Um, the police responded by firing several shots, striking Miss Taylor five times. One of the uh, three officers on the scene, Detective Brent Hanskin, uh, who has been, has been fired, shot 10 rounds blindly into the apartment. Okay. So, dude, the fact that that dude is still alive is a miracle, especially after hearing that. That's crazy. <clears throat> and um, I believe his story, though, like it to makes total sense. She's dated crazy dudes in the past that were into bad things. So, I would, it makes sense to believe that you think he's breaking in and you grab so your what, gun. What I think needs to be, be done here though, is I think we need to look at why, like why a search warrant, a no knock search warrant was given out. Cause that's not a police issue, right? I mean like police requested, yeah. but they have to get that from a judge, right? Yeah. But even if it wasn't a no knock search, yeah. So a judge has to sign off on a warrant, but even if it wasn't a, a no knock search warrant, it still wouldn't have changed anything in this situation. Um, but a lot of the things like, dude, I used to watch cops all the time when it was still on. And uh, I remember I watched this episode and they run up in this, in this house with a battering ram right away. And then the, they arrest the dude that was a drug dealer and he was living with his mom and his mom came out and like poor lady living in the hood. And it's like, 
guys, if you would have just knocked, I would have opened the door. Like <laughs> you didn't have to do all this. So I think that um, unless you have a reason to believe someone's going to flee or do something, but at the end of the day, like if there was drugs in there, like he could have flushed them. Like there's a lot of things could happen. So it's kind of like a warrant, a search warrant is just a very dangerous situation from the get go. Like you're busting into someone's house that is not expecting you. And if they don't know it's the cops, they're, they're going to shoot back. So, um, and well, then if they, they do not take too much time, now they can destroy evidence and stuff like that. So it's just a hard, it's a, it's a hard situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. One more thing on race here and then let's move on to the entrepreneurship type of stuff. I feel, um, With the riots, the protests, I should say. I mean, I think you and I are probably on the same page. Riots, are, like, don't burn buildings. Don't be an idiot. If you burn buildings or do anything violent, like, you, you deserve what's coming to you. Yeah, I mean, like, as a general rule. Mm -hmm. Okay, so protests. Do you think that, I mean, there's protests still going on to this day, thousands of people gathering every day all across the country. Do you think that this extended uh, amount of protests in America, particularly around radical injustice, is going to change anything? Do you think that that is part of the solution, that that is necessary? Or not Not, not do they have the right to, because obviously they have the right to, but like for actual solutions, for actual change, do you think that that is actually getting anything done? Do you think that that's necessary to get other things done? Or is it all kind of a waste of time and they should be focused on their efforts in other places? Um, well, the short answer is I don't know. Um, the long answer, though, is his. I would look at historically have protests been effective, and I'd say that there's there's a strong case for yes, uh, because marches and the Million Man March and stuff like that. Like we learn about this stuff in school, it's talked about. So I think that there is evidence that it has been effective. But I mean, I'd look at how they've done things in the past that have been effective and that have worked versus how we're doing things now. Um, I think that burning things down, stuff like that is just, just creates additional division. Dude, like after the, for the election, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm hiding out. Like I'm going to a mountain. I was thinking of leaving the country, but then I was like, I could probably just hide out in a mountain or something and, uh, just be chill there. But because I know that depending on, on what happens and who gets elected, I mean, no matter who gets elected, there's probably going to be civil unrest, but I think especially if Trump gets reelected, um, there's going to be extreme civil unrest and it's just going to create like a not safe environment. Right. So I think that to answer your question, um, I think there's evidence that protests have been effective in the past. Um, if you look back to like the Rodney King riots in LA, I think those were effective in police reform. And that was a, that was a legitimate riot. Like the city burnt to the ground. So I understand that um, that I understand how someone could want to burn things down because they feel like they've exhausted everything else and they're still not heard. So they're like, if this is the only way I can get heard is to burn things down. Um, I understand that thought process. Definitely don't excuse the action, but I understand like, dude, uh, th these like poor business owners in Denver, if you drive around the Capitol building, they're like boarded up stuff's not real. Like it's, sad and i feel like a lot of like you'll see like black lives matter and stuff like that on businesses here and sometimes i'm like i was having a, one of my friends was telling me he's like do you really think that 
those businesses actually care. They're just trying to not get their windows shattered. So it just creates all this division, um, these protests and these, these, uh, sorry, these riots. Um, but there's also, I've heard, I don't know if this is confirmed or not, that a lot of people that are rioting are just rioters and looters. And then there's people protesting, but the problem is they're wearing the same, like they're apparently wearing the same uniform. Like they, they all look like protesters and then some of them decide to go loot and ride and stuff like that. And I saw this crazy video. Uh, I don't know if you saw it in LA during one of the riots, this guy's driving through a crowd Yo, yeah. and in a white Prius and he's like not hitting anyone, minding his business and people start banging on his windows and he like gets through speeds away without hitting anybody, which at that point, like I probably would have freaked out and hit a person. Or two. Yo, I would have literally just ran him over. And then I'm not even kidding. It's cut off by this big truck. They stop in front of him. He like hits the truck or almost hits the truck. And then a green Mustang pulls up behind him and hits his at physically like makes contact with him. And then all these like rioters get out of the car and start beating on this dude's uh, Prius. And then they start like trying to break the windows and stuff. He speeds off and this whole, this is all, all caught on helicopter cam. He speeds off. And then a couple of minutes later gets pulled over and he gets arrested. And like the cops, make what him were, like, car. what was, what was up with, I didn't understand that at all. Like why? I mean, obviously the police officer there probably didn't see the, the former encounter, but like, how did that happen? Like, was, how does that person end up in jail? Maybe we didn't see the full, uh, clip. Maybe there's something that happened before something happened after who knows. But the fact that those people that are trying to beat the crap out of this guy for literally no reason at all are not the same. Pe I don't believe they're the same people that are trying to make change. I right. No, I would agree with that. And um, the governor of Florida actually came out and they passed a bunch of new laws for rioters and, and protesting and whatnot. If you are a violent rioter, it's automatic felony. If you uh, publicly assault anybody in like a public road or anything like that during a protest, uh, automatic felony. If you touch a cop, automatic, automatic felony. Um, and then if you like like if you tear down any monuments or cause any like destruction like that, it's not a felony, but I can't remember what it was, but there was punishment for that as well. And like, part of me is like, Oh man, it's crazy that we have to go to that extreme. But at the same time, I'm like, also we got like, we got to go to that extreme. Like it's at some point, because there are, I mean, there are literally innocent people, so many of them and people that are probably for the black lives matter movements, not the organization, but like the movement, people that are actually standing up for what they believe in getting literally assaulted by rioters, not other peaceful protesters. And that's, mm -hmm. I think a huge issue. So do you think that there's uh, systemic racism in the U S for sure, but it's, it is different. I don't think people understand what systemic racism is. Like, I don't think they actually understand where it's coming from or what caused it or anything like that. I think that they autom a lot of people that say that, oh, there, there's systemic racism in America. Like, they automatically assume that, <laughs> well, they automatically assume it's intentional and things like that, which is ironic. But I don't think it's how most people think of racism in America today. So what do you mean? Like, so then, uh, like, give me an example of systemic racism, like access to access to funding. OK, so this is a, a pretty uh, easy one for anybody to understand. So think about and like redlining is illegal. So I'm not referring to redlining here. That was a, a, a practice that was done up until recently, though. It was legal for quite mm -hmm. a while. But like. 
for example, I, I even have had friends that have done this, that um, based on where they live, based on the based on the fact of, well, people may, might not say this publicly, but like we'll make uh, there was a friend of mine one time I, I had met um, and I like we were talking about how much uh, money we had made because, you know, as entrepreneurs, they like to do that. Oh, what's your mm -hmm. revenue? What's your numbers you're making right up? Right. And Big like, I, <laughs> right, right. Basically. Right. And I was like, uh, yo, dude, because he was saying, I want to go you know, do a lot of stuff, but I need funding. I need access to capital. I was like, well, dude, just go get a loan. He's like, well, I can't. I've been declined everywhere. I'm like, what do you mean? I literally make, I actually made just slightly underneath him, both in revenue and take-home pay. And I was like, what do you mean? I get like offers thrown at me all the time and everything like that. And the only difference between like basically him and I was the color of his skin, right? And so he- Yeah, and, but did you know his credit score, his credit history? Well, all that well stuff? no, but but- I know that he had gone through the process of trying to get approved in, in, in certain things like that. And the, and, and there could have been underlying things, but there are so many countless stories of people that I know that when it comes to access to funding, access to resources and things like that, there is racism in, in that category. I would also say, um, once again, this is like, I think it's like subconscious racism, right? In the mm -hmm. sense of, Hey, we can't put a black person in a position of hiring because not because of that they're not talented, not because they can't do the job, but because what other people would think of that, or because of the especially in corporations, right? Um, I know, like, have actually met business owners, like in person in real life, that have straight up told me, "Oh no, we we don't hire black people as whether it's servers or employees or like whatever, because if we hire too many black people, then." Uh, you know, the crowd is going to follow it. Crime will follow that. They're going to bring in their friends. They're going to come to see him. So we don't want that crowd in here. So like, it's like things like that, that like mm -hmm. you see, you experience that. I'm like, I don't think people are blatantly out there. Like, yo, you're black. You suck. Right. But I'm like, yeah. mm -hmm. it's the subconscious things that they associate with a black person that comes with it. And they won't make a decision based off of that. Yeah. And I, I dude, I noticed that at a young age and that's when I was like, dude, I got to build my own path. And dude, I'm, I'm fucking, so my, my ancestors are from my mom and dad born in the Dominican Republic, first generation immigrants. Um, their ancestors are from Spain. Um, my great grandfather was a farmer. Um, so from Spain to the, the U S uh, sorry, to, uh, the Dominican Republic immigrated. So I, um, and I'm dude, I'm 26 year old. I'm a fucking millionaire. Like <laughs> you don't like I'm of, of course, like, uh, I didn't, I never met my dad until I was eight years old, um, single mother growing up. So I've built my own path and I've figured, figured it out for me because I knew like I was never going to the, like me climbing the corporate ladder wasn't going to be the same as, um, you know, someone else climbing, climbing the, the corporate ladder. Yeah. So do you think that, um, so I was like, I, I just got to make my own path. And I guess the fact that I even had to have that thought at a young age, like is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and that's the type I, of racism that we're talking about. I like mean, most I white kids are like going to think that. The, you know, successful people in like these building and these high rises and stuff are white. So if I'm going to go that path, then my just statistically, it's going to be harder. So I decided to go down a path of something that I could control more. And um, I got, I mean, I'm super, I've worked my ass off, but I'm also very fucking lucky that I have like, great people in my life that I didn't like join a gang that I never got addicted to any drugs that I didn't get, dude, I know people that, uh, 
do my best friend in, we were at 17, 18. He starts selling weed, um, gets robbed by like this dude with a hacksaw that came to buy weed off him and tried to like rob him a week later, that same kid, uh, shot and killed somebody trying to rob them for weed. And he was like 19 years old. Um, you can Google it, Charles Washington, Allentown, Pennsylvania. So, um, I grew up with, with stuff like that and it was like, you know, everywhere. So I was like, if I, if I'm going to change my life, it's really going to be on me. And I don't want anything that I have to depend on somebody or like, I'm going to get my path stifled because someone else is racist or whatever. So do you think that, um, people, so I'm, I'm a different, I'm I'm a little bit different and I can't speak on this too much because my ancestors weren't slaves. Yeah, My ancestors were like my heritage, although I'm like dark skin, my mom's as white as you, my dad's darker than me. My uh, ancestry is it's like 48% European Spanish. And then the rest it's like 37.5% West African. So I'm more like European than I am uh, African, but I look dark and I look like a black person in America. Right. Um, So do you think that people that have had ancestors as slaves? um, Because I know if my ancestors were slaves, my life would be very different. Like I could have grown up in a different area and, and, Although like my parents' lives were very difficult growing up um, and they grew up in poverty in a third world country, um, a little bit, I'd say Dominican Republic's a little bit better than a third world country economically. Yeah. Um, but do you think that somebody who has had ancestors as slaves should get some sort of government programs or reparations mm. similar to how Indians uh, or na- sorry, Native Americans have received? <laughs> like there's parts of the country where Native Americans don't live by the, they don't have the same laws that govern yeah, them. Like that, that's why they can yeah. open, open casinos and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if this is true, but I knew someone that, uh, or I know someone that told me that there's a, an area of Florida where Native Americans uh, kind of, it's kind of like a reservation and they get like eight grand a month from the government as like reparations. So I look at that. And the reason why I think that there should be an argument for this, and I don't know if it's yeah. it, it should be done or shouldn't be done, is because let's say my family was enslaved and yours wasn't, and your family owned a farm and then passed that farm down and, and then had two farms. And now when your parents die, you get four farms. That's wealth being passed down. And my family could never even own a house because of redlining, because they were slaves and they built the wealth of these families that for free, essentially, that now have these multi-million dollar farms scattered yeah. around South Georgia, Mississippi, wherever, Texas, wherever. Yeah. So I definitely think there's a case for that, for sure. Um, I've never really thought about it in detail. Uh, I, like, I definitely know that if your parents, like if, if your ancestors were slaves, that the likeliness that you are in, like, like if you were to line up all the black people in America and be like, okay, which ones are you are statistically better off? The people with that had ancestors as that were slaves are statistically worse off than ones that are not. Right. It's like the worst part of racism. So I, I would definitely be open to having a conversation. The the issue that will arise with that, which I'm not saying that you couldn't fix or you couldn't find a way around that is because of things like the internet and the fact that you know technology has changed, like there's no direct, like money moves now. So there's no direct correlation to know like who they benefit, who they didn't, who should they yeah. be taking it from or things like that. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, that there shouldn't be a discussion there for that. I think that's an interesting concept. My So my default, right, of things is that I... I never believe that just handing someone a blank check is the solution for something. Yeah, now, 
I'm open to it in a, in a scenario like that. But like, I feel like rather than just being like, Hey, listen, we're going to write everybody a $5,000 a month check or like whatever it is, because your ancestors are there. I would be definitely open to being like, Hey, listen, like we're going to give massive amounts of opportunity to those people that wouldn't be attributed to somebody else. For example, them free college makes total sense, right? For those like higher education, yeah. things make sense for like actual resources, maybe like no taxes on housing or um, no taxes yeah, on like I'm certain totally things. Because if you just get somebody time. with a, a mindset that like a poverty mindset, like if money, it, it's like self-destruction. Right. And the only reason that that the gosh, man, it's just so jacked up to say this but like the only reason that like a a slave owner was able to go generationally passed down is because they took the assets and that sounds so messed up but like you understand what i'm trying to say yeah. whether it be money or, they actually produce something with it right so you don't want to just hand money to somebody regardless of skin color and this this is very equally my thought process across the board free money without educating them on how to use it right because then they're they're not like if you just handed a, a poverty mindset stricken person, regardless of color, $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month, they are not by default going to go and produce more and pass on generational wealth. They're going to be like, yo, I'm set for life. I get 5,000 a month for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. Heck yeah. So instead go, Hey, listen, we're going to give you programs, incentives, whatever, to actually go out there and create generational wealth so that we can break the cycle of the fact that you were in slavery. At, or your the thing is, um, in this country, if you are like a fourth generation American, it's very, very difficult. Like your family has to have fucked up a lot for you not to be very well off. Because let's say your uh, parents, your your great grandparents owned a house. Your parents buy a house. Your great your grandparents buy a house. Now your great grandparents die. They have the house. Now you have two. Your family has two houses. Then your parents buy a house. And then they die and or their grandparents die. Their, their parents die. Now they have three houses. Now you buy a house. Now you got four houses. So in four generations, there's all this like wealth that's just kind of accumulating. Now there's, there's other different cases too, because if you have siblings, now the house gets sold, the money gets spread through between every sibling, but um, home ownership is essentially the way to generational wealth. So if somebody Historic, has had, historically speaking, yes, right. So yeah. if, if somebody hasn't had a the opportunity because you can make you can make thirty thousand dollars a year, but if you own a house and everybody in your family made thirty thousand dollars a year for as long as forever, but everybody bought a house, you still build up some sort of a nest egg or some sort of right. uh, some sort of wealth. So if someone if that's the way that general generational wealth is built for the average American, like of course there's business owners and stuff like that, um, and someone hasn't had the opportunity for their family to build that, then it's not a level playing field. Right. No, I would agree with that for sure. I think th the problem is, is that a lot of people don't believe that that exists, which is just absolutely ridiculous and insane. I, I think there's definitely a conversation for it. And I, I would definitely be open to having that conversation. I mean, if I was ever in a place where I get to be a decision maker there, I definitely think that like we, People don't, I mean, this is true across the board. People don't realize how good or bad they have it. Well, typically how good they have it, right? Until it's like taken away. And so for someone that just grew up in a primarily white neighborhood, even if that was lower class, right? As you said, and it's been generationally, like you might've only inherited, let's say, I don't know, maybe you inherited $25,000 from your parents when they die, right? Or their grandparents. That's like, you know, $25,000 more than a lot of people would. 
you know, would do, or like people inherit debts, people inherit, you know, living in a bad, poor neighborhood. The fact that you are yeah. just born into a wealthy neighborhood, right? Like that's, I think that's one of the, you know, the big things as well. My problem is, is that the solution to anything, poverty, socialism, or uh, uh, poverty or um, racism or anything like that is not to like, not to punish people that didn't have a choice. Like, just because you were born into a wealthy neighborhood, just because you were born well off, that doesn't mean you should punish those people. Yeah. But we need to collectively come together as a society and help those that were born into a poor neighborhood. The other thing I would say with that is like, you also have to like, you also have to play the hands that you, the hand that you were dealt. I think the most people, and and this is not not in any way exclusive to african-americans this is across the board right all of us anytime we look at something or approach something as a negative it becomes a negative but it, if you then decide that that negative thing is actually going to become a positive if you actually say okay my weaknesses my shortcomings my you know my my, my the things that would typically put me at a disadvantage in life those become my tools those become my assets those become something that i can actually use for good and or to get me further ahead in life and you flip the script and play the the card or the, play the hands that you were dealt uh, as best as you possibly can. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, I would argue that you, the situation that you were born into does not does not need to determine your outcome. There are obvious exceptions to that rule, but like as a general rule of thumb, an overwhelming majority of the time, where you are born, if you are born into America, does not in any way have to determine the outcome of your life. It might be more difficult or harder to get there, but I mean, perfect. You're the perfect example of that. Dude, I like being born poor and in a single parent household is like the best thing that ever happened to me mm. because I decided that it was going to be like at a very uh, dude at 17. I used to read Forbes magazine like I'd be in school in computer class, not doing what they're saying on reading Forbes, learning about business. I used to have like a uh, I used to be heavy into like Investopedia. Like at a young age, I knew like what stocks were. I knew what bonds were. I knew how options contracts work because I was like, this is the shit you need to know to get rich. And I just wanted that so bad. And I would yeah. read, I read Robert Kiyosaki at 17 years old, rich dad, poor dad. Like I knew that I, the, the faster that I found out that getting rich was not a lucky thing. It was a skill thing. The, like that, that was like the biggest realization for me to change my life because I'm like, okay, I know that, yeah, there might be some luck in this, but I know that I at least have a decent amount of control over getting rich. And I started to look into, I remember 17 years old, we had career day at school and this guy came in and he gave us a chart and it showed every, uh, every career and what it paid. And I instantly went to like the, what it paid column and I found the highest paid jobs. And it was like doctor, lawyer, engineer, that was it. And then everything else sucked. And I was like, well, I'm not doing any of those. So I went to the guy and I'm like, hey, um, and th this guy actually wrote a book and it's an interesting story. So I went to him and I was like, hey, um, you know, none of these really pay well, except for the ones that you need like eight years of schooling. And then he's like, yeah, there's actually another option that's not on there. And it's called an entrepreneur. And I'm like, OK, well, how do I do that? And then he's like, um, well, that's actually what I did. I actually never went to school except to learn how to fly my plane. And the guy 
uh, has a, a book called Two Bucks to Happiness. I can't remember his name right now, but if you Google it. And uh, basically, he's he's just like this millionaire dude. And he goes around to like impoverished schools and he gives them his book. And then he gives everybody a $2 bill. And he's like, you know, at this is a, this is how much money I had when I first two, like two started. bucks or two books to happiness. Two bucks. Two bucks. Um, yeah, I'll look it up. Book. Uh, I actually have it in my um, library, so I'll I'll pull it up. Okay, um, cool. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I think, Richard. Yeah, Runzinski. Yep. yep, that guy. Two bucks to happiness based yep. on the true life story of Richard Grunzinski by his Dude, daughter. That guy changed my life so much. I got to find him and like send him like a thank you. Um, Heck yeah. Dude, he probably doesn't even know. So he, uh, at the end of his presentation, he gives everybody a $2 bill, like a legit $2 bill. And it's oh, like, nice. this is how much money I had when I started. It's now like, go make something of yourself with it. Nice. And uh, dude, he, everybody in our school district knew him. Because he was like the two, like he came, get, did a presentation. You got out of class. He gave you a two dollar bill. Like everyone was super stoked, and a lot of people had seen him before, like in uh, elementary school, middle school, or whatever. And uh, he's like using his own money to like fund this, and giving everybody these two dollar bills. So um, I saw him, and he was like, "Yeah, uh, you know, I'm a millionaire. I I have a plane." Uh, and then he said something interesting. He's like, I would trade all my money though, to have my wife back. Cause his wife had died a couple years ago. Whoa. It was like this major life lesson. And I'm like 16, 17 and I'm like, <laughs> I'm on his every word. Um, but at some, like there, at some point, like you got to take responsibility for your life. But I do know that that is way harder to do when like every, like your environment is really, really shitty. Like environment. Yeah. Dude, I went back this weekend for a baby shower in my hometown and I grew up, grew up in the hood and, uh, dude, literally a fight broke out at the bait, like at the baby <laughs> shower, like after party, like not just a fight, but like someone tried to hit the pregnant girl and I'm dead <laughs> serious. And then they like got kicked out and then they came back with like two of their, the, the, a dude came back with like two of his friends or his cousin or something. And then just who, this huge brawl just broke out. And I was like, dude, how, like, how would you? become a millionaire like how would you like even like go to college or whatever if this is the, your environment all the time like violence and stuff like that because i was pretty lucky like my my mom was a single mother but she never really dated growing up so there was never like dudes coming in and out of my house or anything like that um but i could see how if you're at a young age single mother and your mom's dating and your date she's dating in a poor area there's gonna be people that come into your house that probably have criminal records there might be the, the, with every new relationship, the, 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 uh, statistical likelihood of domestic violence goes up and up because yeah. dating more people, it's in a poor area. So imagine being like seven, eight years old and there's just all these dudes marching through your house. Some of them are beating your mom. Like they're not the, the best people to be around. So, and then trying to escape that or find some sort of escapism through rebellion or whatever. So it's very, very hard. Like you can look at somebody. One of the things that I've learned recently is it, or I've been practicing is like being more compassionate and learning to kind of stop judging people. Cause I, I used to be like a very judgmental asshole because of the fact that like I've done so much with my life with so little. So I would like look at people who maybe have had more, but I've done less as like, you know, they're not as smart as me. They don't work as hard as me or whatever. Um, anyways, I've worked through a lot of those like 
internal issues. And I'm a lot more compassionate now to whereas before I'd be like, well, you're just lazy because look what I did with my life. And now I'm more like compassionate to the point where I'm like, dude, it's fucking hard. Like I got very, very lucky that my mom didn't have like a parade of men coming through my house yeah. at the end because who knows like what would have happened or like the anger that I would have built or resentment I would have built through that. So yeah, it's very, but very, how do you, how do you, okay. So how do you balance though? Cause like, I feel that, right? Like I'm, I'm a hustler. I've worked my butt off. You know, I know you've worked your butt off, right? We've known each other for what, four years now, something like that, right? Four or five years. Like we've seen each other hustle and I'm going to say, I mean, I didn't grow up with a single, I, I didn't grow up in your child, like with your childhood or whatever, but I have worked my butt off. And I'm like, the best thing, as you said, the best thing that could have happened to me was the fact that I didn't grow up with money, that my parents didn't pay for my college. They didn't, couldn't pay Dude, for my college. So I, I honestly think growing up with money is more of a disadvantage than it is an advantage. If you look at long term and statistically for, from the perspective of like a personal development for, Purely from a personal development standpoint, I could see that. Yeah. Right. So, like, how do you go through and balance? Because my big thing is like, I'm like, if you just take personal responsibility for your life, your life will be better. Right. Like, that's kind of like my whole thing. And I like want to mm -hmm. yell at people and like, just do the work. And like, I understand that there needs to be a level of compassion. There absolutely does. I'm an empath. You're right. I need to be more compassionate. You're working on being more compassionate. It's like, okay. How do you draw the line of, but also too much compassion is also a hindrance. Like, because compassion could also become like a crutch. It could become like an excuse. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, like, whoa, is me. Like there needs to be a balance. And I feel like, well, I I'm curious to know your thoughts on it. And then I want to come back to my, how I approach that or what I think is the correct way to handle that. So... You could think about like someone who just committed a crime and that person needs to be reformed, right? So I don't think that an eye for an eye is the way to go when it comes to criminals. I think, hey, we need to lock this person up so that we can reform them, not so that we can punish them. Because any any good whole person is not going to commit commit an act of violence or crime. So there's there's clearly something emotionally missing from that person's life, which has driven them to commit these crimes. So I don't think that locking them up in a you know four by six cell or whatever is the answer to getting them to not recommit, re reoffend, right? And we all know like a large majority of uh, of criminals end up becoming second time offenders or whatever, because they haven't been reformed. So I think that, yeah, you should lock people up, um, not as a punishment, but as a, a way to reform them. Um, and there should be effort into that rather than this person has a debt now to society that needs to be repaid. Um, it's more like, you know, on one, on one side of the spectrum, society let this person down because in their family and, and everybody grown up, because if, if they were a whole human being, they would have not offended. And if you talk to the majority of uh, violent offenders and, and drug traffickers and stuff like that, the they've had a broken ass home from day one. Yeah. Now they, they need to, they need to reconcile those crimes somehow, but doing it in a way that's just like, Hey, out of sight, out of mind, society doesn't care about you. is just going to make them more and more broken and more and more angry over time. Okay. But what about non-criminals? 
Like, what about just the average? I don't want to call them like losers because not everybody's a loser, but like, it's like they're just not doing anything with their life, complaining in the government, they're in debt, they have make no money, they watch Netflix all day. Like, and y- the people that you were like, I, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but the people you were referring to when you were a judgmental a hole was not like criminals, right? Yeah, it was, it was more like, yeah. Right. It was, it was, it was the people that you looked around your life and you're like, yo, I did all this with my life and I came from crap. And here you are, you've got your parents paid for your car and you, you don't have to worry about getting shot and you don't have to worry about drugs. And like, what have you done with your life? You're a bum and you're $30,000 in debt. Like those type of people, like what, what's the balance of, or a, a, how do you deal with it? Or B, what's the, the solution in society for like, equal amount of both compassion but also like yo like if you just take personal responsibility for your life you can change your life yeah so for the people that i know personally that aren't doing things with their life um a lot of times they've just been enabled to be lazy to where like any act of like hard work just seems very difficult like you'll i've never met a person that's just that's homeless just because they're lazy very rare because your survival mechanisms will kick in and you'll have to get a job or you'll have to figure it out. But I've met people that were very lazy because they were just entitled or they're handed things or whatever. Um, or the, like their family just takes care of them or whatever, whether they're impoverished or not. So I think that like, I've never met a homeless, I've never seen a homeless person. I'm like, Hey, you know what happened? And they're like, yo, I'm just really lazy to be honest. Most of the time it's going to be a, a whole slew of issues. So I think that number one, but is there, are they made up issues or is it like legit issues? I don't know. We can come back to that. Yeah. Continue. Continue. I Continue. I think that if, if there was less welfare, I think less people would be, would qualify for welfare. So I have a story that goes, so there would be less poor people if there was no welfare or if the welfare was more, um, strict. So here's a quick story. And this is anecdotal, but I used to work at a place called BJ's wholesale club, very similar to Sam's club. Um, I think it's only like a Northeast thing. Um, Costco Sam's club. We did get a lot of people that come through there with food stamps cards. And, uh, one day I was, I worked the cashier, I worked the cash register and this lady was in line and she had a food stamps card and she didn't know how to use it. Cause she'd never, she'd just gotten it. She just used it. So the lady behind her in line was like, oh, here, I got you. Like, I'll help you set it up real quick because I she had one too. And then in Spanish, she says to her, and I speak Spanish fluently. Spanish was my first language. In Spanish, she says to her, hey, and make sure that you don't get a job because as soon as you get a job, they're going to take these benefits away from you. And I was, dude, I was 17. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I didn't know how welfare worked. So I didn't know like, how much are the benefits? Is it, is it more than what she's getting from a job? But the fact that she told her, Hey, make sure you don't start working because they'll take those benefits away from you. I've had people to apply to work with me at disability for that had disability um, when I had the tax office. And then when they went and checked with their disability office or whatever, if they made more than like $50 a month, they would take away their disability. So would I rather live off $1,500 a month and, and get, you know, these free benefits or would I rather just be impoverished and get food stamps and WIC and um, section eight housing, which makes my rent like $200 a month. Or would I rather bust my ass 40 hours a week for to make like, 
you know, $2,200 a month or $2,400 a month or something like that. Or sometimes the same that I would be getting from the government for free. So the, in that sense, it enables people. Uh, and I've see, I see that all the time when I did taxes, I'd see it all the time. Um, when I was a, a cashier, I'd see it all the time. Like people would come in and fill up their cart with massive amounts of food stamps. I remember uh, one time this girl that I went to school with, she would, her family would shop at where I worked and she always had like the newest pair of Jordans, which are like typically around $8,800. And I, the whole time throughout high school, I thought like her family was super well off. And then one day her family comes in and they pay, they fill up the cart and pay with a food stamps card. And I was like, wait a minute. Like you always have the newest pair of shoes. And when I say like newest, like every single release, I used to be a big like sneakerhead. every single release, which were high in demand. Like you had to be there the first day. Like you had to have disposable income she would get. And her, not only her, but like her, her whole family came into where I worked and they all, all of them the same thing, but yet they're paying with food stamps cards. So there's actually this funny video where, uh, this dude approaches a lady in a parking lot and he's like, Hey, I saw you just pay for that steak with your food stamps card, but then you bought lottery tickets with cash. And then she's like, what? If, if you Google it, you can probably find it. And then he goes up there and he's like, um, he snatches a steak from her cart and he's like, steak is for taxpayers. <laughs> oh my gosh. What? <laughs> Not to say that you should do that, but that shit was well, that's terrible. Oh my word. That is I mean, funny. I mean, that's funny, but that's but what I, the heck? Heck? The, the, I was thinking about this the other day. Um I've done the have you ever steak heard of is the, for tax. Have you if you Google that, you'll probably find it. Have you ever heard uh of the, <laughs> the float tank? Yeah, I've been in them. They're awesome. Yeah, dude. So there's one here in Denver that They're I freaking just started lit. Nice. And I, I was in one yesterday, last night, and I have this in, in there. Like you have your deepest thoughts, and like you can work yeah. out a lot of your inner problems. So I was thinking, and I was like, man, it's, like, it's very- almost like like borderline psychedelic, almost. Especially yeah, if you like yeah. if you like get super stoned and then go into them. That's that's the best. There's a, so I was in there and I had this thought and I was like, dude, there's very few. Cause I I've always had this thought of like, I'm not qualified to speak on social issues and stuff like that mm. because I don't know. But while I was in there, I was like, dude, I'm very qualified to speak on this shit because very few people have had the contrast of experience that I have. Like very sure. few people have spent 20 years around people that average household income is $20,000. And then now like routinely all my friends are millionaires and live in nice houses and like made tens of millions of dollars and all this stuff. So it's like very few people and have that contrast. Like it's very, very rare. So I was like, damn, I do need to be the person that speaks up on these things because I'm I understand. so happy you're figuring this out. JR. This makes me so happy. And I've had the perspective of like seeing the person firsthand with the food stamps card coming through my line saying, Hey, don't get a job. And then also the like super conservative person over here that just thinks that everybody that's poor is lazy. Yeah. No, I and and I, people. Well, I mean, we're Russell Brunson heads. I more so than you are. But like, I mean, it's all about the story, right? It's all about the story that they're telling themselves. And so, like, until they hear a different story, until they hear a different perspective, facts aren't going to change their mind. Because what's the saying? Um, you can make you can make statistics say whatever you want them to say, right? Or you can make data say whatever you want it to say, right? Like you right. can look at whatever data you want. But when you tell when you hear the story. That's what's going to ultimately change that internal belief about it and the fact that there's, you know, other things out there. And so, you know, people, I think people get confused 
with how they make a difference. They think the only way for them to make a difference, like I don't want to speak up on things because the only way for me to then, then I got to start a podcast. Then I got to get political. Then I got to run for office. Then I got, it's like all that stuff. When in reality, no, just like, just like go share your experience with people. Yeah. Like just go like, go out there and talk about it when you're given the opportunity and chance and don't shy away from that. That doesn't mean you have to be Josh 40 and, you know, start a podcast and get half the world hating your guts. Uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just got to go out there and just share your story with people. And I think that that's super powerful. And someone like you, who's like really thought through really smart and as a wide range of experiences, I think someone like you could actually legit change someone's mind one way or the other. And not everybody, but certainly enough people where if, you know, every single person shared their story, and every single person changed people's mind just a little bit. It's that ripple effect. I mean, it's not always going to happen. I know, like, you know the rules of society or whatever. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like mm -hmm. that's the way that we ultimately change people. It's certainly not through presidential debates. Like, what the act? You know what I mean? Like, that's certainly not the answer. Yeah, I have a friend um, who I just saw when I went back to my hometown, which I hadn't been back in like three years. And um, complete opposite of me. Like, grew up in a, a dual parent household. Um, his dad has owned businesses in the past and like sold them. Um, he's very, very like middle class. Um, but he, he went to my high school because of where he lived. Um, and you know how like high school territories are weird and stuff. Yeah, and he lived in an okay area, like a, a really middle class area, home value probably between like 150 and 220, which in, in Allentown is decent. Um, and to this day, like he's living in his parents' basement. He does really nothing with his life, bouncing house, like a uh, job to job, working at warehouses and stuff here and there. But when I saw him, like he talked to me and he expressed so much that he wanted like change his life. And he's like, you know, you know, like when someone is not an entrepreneur comes and talks to you and then they're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing crypto or like Forex or like this MLM or whatever. Like he came up to me like that, which showed me like, all right, this dude, he might be lazy because he's uninspired. But even, even him, like he wants more for his life. It's not yeah. that like, he just wants to just sit on his ass and do what he's doing now. Yeah. But um, his home life, although dual parent household, still probably not healthy from a, a standpoint of like his role models and stuff. Like dad cheated on mom a lot and stuff like that. So I'm sure he has like his internal issues that, that cause him to be the way he is. But the number one reason why I believe he's he's like that is his parents have enabled him. Like they're not like, yo, get yep. the fuck up and go get a job. Like you can't live here anymore because if it's between getting a job or again, you never like, or being on the street, he's going to get a job. He's going to be hundred percent society. And then I have another friend um, who same thing, like grew up in a dual parent household, but in, in the ghetto, more of more ghetto than this person's uh, house. And um, he worked, he never got a degree or anything, but he worked his way up different warehouses and stuff. He's probably making now like 20, 22, 23 an hour. Um, bought his first house a year ago and is talking about saving up and and buying another house. So it's it's all about like, you know, mindset. And he yeah. granted though, he had very, very good parents. And that's the thing too. You can be very poor. Like I read Michelle Obama's book um just because I was interested in her story. And I like yeah, to yeah. see like both sides of becoming like, Michelle Obama. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard and, it's a great book. She grew up in the super ghetto, but she had a dual parent household and her parents cared about her a lot. Her brother went to Princeton, played basketball. She went to Princeton. Like they had, they grew up super poor, but they had a lot of support around. She had a lot of support around her. And when you, when you're growing up poor and you have support, like you don't even know you're poor. It that's doesn't even matter. Right. That's a hundred percent it. And that's where 
Okay, so I believe this is going all the way back to like the whole compassion versus yo, just get up and do something, right? Uh, I believe that almost every a problem in America today can be traced back to lack of of um, leadership in the household, right? Lack of, of parenting in the household, regardless of whether you have a dual uh, uh, parent yeah. household or not, but especially single parent households, because you think of all these single moms out there, right? Okay. So actually, let me tell you a story. So I grew up, uh, you know, su super middle class, I'd say probably lower middle class for a while, right? Uh, certainly paycheck to paycheck. Money's always tight, right? Type, you know, type of thing. My parents were awesome though, right? But I have this balance between my mom and I was homeschooled, right? Homeschooled, seven other siblings, big family, kind of a different lifestyle, but like dual parent household, right? My mom was the more compassionate, understanding, loving one, right? She was the one that was like, hey, like whenever there was you know, a fight or whenever there was problems, my mom was like, hey, let's like understand the root cause of issues and kind of things like that. My dad was the one that's like, yo, get your butt, you know, get up, get to work. Like, I don't care if we got in trouble, it would be like, We'd be up at 545 running laps or doing push-ups or doing two hours more of chores just because like we were in trouble for, you know, whatever. And so my dad was yeah. just like, take personal responsibility for your life. That balance and me having the one from one side and one from the other and getting both of it because you do need both, right? Having that made such a difference in my life because even when my parents would fight and they, well, I like see them fight over how to like, I mean, I was a problem kid growing up, right? Like, what do we do with Josh, right? It's like, okay. They were battling and I got to see both sides and I got to see, okay, my parents both love me. They're just doing it from different angles and I need them both, right? Well, now take one of them out of that situation. Now go to a single parent, go to a single mother who's working a job, who's struggling to put food on the table, right? Who's got two or three or four kids. She has to be both. Yeah. She has to. And like when a child like sees that, that's mixed signals, that's confusion. There's so much there. And like, the mom who is a single parent who's, you know, working, she doesn't want to come home and be the bad guy. She wants to just come home and be like, it's okay. I'll take care of you. I want to protect you. I don't want, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. you take that out. And I feel like so many problems today result from lack of parenting, even if there's dual parenting in the household, lack of good parenting in the household, which is why the Black Lives Matter organization is a completely bogus, ridiculous, stupid, horrible organization. I mean, they they literally support the demise of traditional family values, which is just crazy. I'm not talking about the movement. I'm talking about the organization specifically. But like, if you if we were to fix that problems, that problem, and I'm not saying all mothers are good, all uh, fathers are bad, or vice versa. But like, men need to stand up and be men. Fathers need to step up and be fathers, and they need to give the mothers, the ability to do what they do best. And they need to give the child the, the fatherly figure that they need in order to, to go and do something. Now, granted, there's exceptions to the rules. You're the perfect example of that. But as a general rule, think about how much you're I'm sure you saw it, your mom having to struggle playing both of those roles versus me, where I got to watch two different parents play that role. Yeah. So my, my mom's work schedule was three to 11. So I would get home at like three 30 and she'd already be at work. And then I'd be sleeping by the time she got back usually. Um, and I would, I was always scared of um, disappointing her because I saw like how hard she worked and how much she like sacrificed and how like much she like struggled. And like, she would like really, really reach just to like do something basic, like buy me a toy or whatever. Um, so I, that kind of made me like, I, I did like degenerate shit at a young age. Like, you know, I've, I've like, you know, got caught stealing or whatever when I was like 12. Right. right. Um, I would, 
I start like I, I smoked weed when I was like 14 or something for the first time. I drink at like 15, 16. Um, but I always made sure like number one, never got too far. Number two, she never, ever found out about it so that I would not disappoint her. Mm. And so I knew like I'd never do anything that was too over the edge because for fear that I would disappoint her, um, which is like that time that I did get caught stealing at like 12, 13, the disappointment in her face was the worst punishment ever. Right. Um, and I never did it again. So I think that, but like I guess, your mother loved you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. Yeah. That plays a huge role into it too. I think the, one of the single most disgusting or, or just absolute heart. I'm an empath, right? So the most heart, one of the most heartbreaking things that I can see or that I know is when a parent does not love their child. Like when their parent abuses their child, be it physically or emotionally, and literally doesn't care. Like when when they're caught when they tell their kids they're inconvenienced, they're a loser, they suck, they're you know, mm -hmm. like all the time, like that level of I don't even know what to call it. Like that messes a child up. That will yeah. mess you up for a generation. Yeah, I remember growing up, I had friends that um I would envy them like in elementary school because they had like so much freedom for like such a young age. Like they can do whatever they could like stay out as much as they wanted. Like they could walk anywhere, ride their bike anywhere. And uh, as I grew up, I just realized that they didn't have freedom. Their parents just didn't give a shit about them. Yeah. And my mom always gave a shit about me. Like she yeah. would tell me like I had a curfew. Like I would, she would, you know, lay down rules and stuff like that. So um, I, I, definitely had like love which made a huge difference in like who i yeah. became in life yeah I, I feel that all right what's next for you bro what are you doing right now with your life so uh, actually funny story um yesterday we uh me and joel we were walking to this lunch place that he pretty much gets food from every day and i feel like uh, joel's the type of person that does this does he get the same like lunch every single day yeah yeah, hundred yeah, like percent. We That's walk totally in cool. and they have it ready for him. Yeah, hundred um, sure. percent. So the uh, so we're leaving and he's like, "Oh, you know that place is going out of business," and um, I was like, "Oh man, that sucks." Like it's like one of my one of my, like I love that place, and um, he's like, "Yeah, the owner called me and told me not to like buy any more punch cards because they were going out of business." And I was like, "Wow, what a good guy!" Like he's going out <laughs> of business, like, you know, saying like, "Hey, don't waste your money." So um, apparently, he's been behind on his rent or whatever. Um, like eight grand. So, uh, I, uh, I look at Joel because he tells Joel, cause Joel's like, okay, how much do you need? And he's like eight grand. So I'm like, yo, why don't we just give him the money? <laughs> and I was like, it's like our favorite place. It's right here. Right. Um, so then we're, we're like, we come up with a plan. Originally I was like, dude, let's just give him the money. But then we're like, all right, how about we just raise the money and do a one day event for him. And we'll all basically get a bunch of people that do hundred K a month at least. And then we'll all tell our stories on like how we got to hundred K a month. We'll package that up for $97 and we'll do like a one day live event. Yo, that's eight awesome. grand and then pay off this dude's uh, debt and then let him basically like just kind of get like a hit the restart button. Um, and I was like, dude, cause I, like, I've always wanted, like I want to give back, but there's just not a lot of causes that pull me or chair. Yeah. There's not a lot of charities that I trust. Like I give to OUR sometimes cause like I trust them. But I get that thing in the mail from like, 
Um, no offense to this charity because I really don't know or anybody in the military, but Wounded Warrior, like they spend so much money sending me stuff in the mail that I'm just like, how much of this is actually like making it? Yeah, so, I feel uh, that. I feel that. So um, I see this opportunity to help out and I'm like, all right, we definitely like have to do this. So we call the guy up and we tell him like, yo, we're, uh, this is like what we're going to do for you. Super happy. I met with the guy today. We're going to like shoot the video. By the time this comes out, the event would have already been done. So it's going to be on the 16th, I believe. Nice. Um, and then we're going to have people, you know, donate their time to raise money. That's freaking lit. Yeah. So I, I looked at that and I'm like, okay, um, old JR would have been like, you know, like screw this guy. Like that's his fault for opening a Terrible business owner. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But now I'm like, I talked to the guy. He's like, dude, I started this business and I was literally living in my car and I started this in New Orleans because I just wanted to like get this off the ground and I couldn't afford an apartment. And he's like, I would literally like power the, somehow he would like power like the stove or something in the business with like the battery from his car or something. Um, and this was like in New Orleans 10 years ago or whatever. Then he moves to Denver and then COVID hits and all this stuff. And he's like 50 years old already. So I'm like, dude, I know that this guy's not lazy. Like maybe right. not, not super business savvy or whatever. Right. Right. But I don't, I don't just feel like he deserves to go out of business and he has a really good product. And I feel like without COVID and all this stuff, he probably would make it or be okay. So I was like, dude, I have the opportunity to help him out. I'm going to do it. Plus uh, the food's bomb. And it's, it's well, I'll take Yo, JR, look at you out here, like saving businesses and stuff. Yo, so then awesome. I, woman, I told Melissa and it was one of those, like, she's like, yo, isn't it crazy that you just have the power to like influence things like this and like actually like put your money where your mouth is and like see a cause and do something. That's and wild. I, was like, I didn't even think about that while it was happening. But afterwards I'm like, dude, this is like one of those, like you made it moments. Like you right. have the ability, the power to save someone else, to keep a business owner in business, keep jobs uh, in the economy and actually affect change with your money that you've made through providing value in the marketplace. So I was like, dude, this is, this is really like, this is one of, like this moment meant more to me than like buying my first nice car or like yeah. you know, vacation or anything like that. Well, clearly because you got rid of your Corvette and now you drive it, you don't even have a car. So I feel that, but dude, that's dude, awesome. I, I have no practical use for money. I, the only thing that money gets me right now that I like is security. Like I, feel I, like I feel like, you know, economy takes a shit or whatever, whatever. Like I'll peace out. I'll, I'll wait it out. Like I can wait it out. Um, I feel like I live in a safe place uh, because of my business and stuff. But like you said, like I walk everywhere um, or I'll take a scooter or I'll take an Uber um, or I'll drive my girlfriend's car. <laughs> it's like the quintessential like loser boyfriend driving. His <laughs> um, my boyfriend's a millionaire, but he doesn't have a car. So the reason like I feel like I've solved a lot of insecurity to the point where like I can be like, like I can have a conversation with somebody and be like, oh no, I drive my girlfriend's car. And I don't feel like I have to justify that at all. Like, right. Well, I'm actually a millionaire and I run a big business and all this stuff. Like, I feel like I can just be like, yeah, I drive my girlfriend's car and just be okay with the fact that they may or may not judge me. Yeah. Um, because so dude, I also like, I sleep, I, you've been to my house. I sleep yeah. on like a floor futon. A okay. No, no, futon. no guys, 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 <laughs> guys, JR invites me over to his place. He's like, yo, come over. You want to see it or whatever. We get there, it's like sweet, nice building. Everything goes up. We walk in, and the dude has—is your TV on the floor? Or it's it like mounted, mounted, like eye level. If you're sitting down, 
Okay, all he has in his living room is this little thing. It literally sits on the floor. It's like a, a two-person little couch thing that's like this tall, and it sits on the floor. So you sit on the floor. He's got these two, they're not Buddha mats, but like the little things they're that like you meditation like. meditation mats. Me, like little meditation mats. That's it. And then you walk into his bedroom, and there's nothing. No dresser, <laughs> no anything. There is a flat mattress like this big on the floor. That's what he sleeps on. So yeah, Google it, Japanese futon. Um but is that what it's called? Cool. Yeah. So I like it yeah. because um, in my mind, it's like all the, there's nothing anywhere. So there's no like distractions. Like yeah. there's no, it's very like clean. It's a clean, clear pl place to think. It's yeah. very clean as well. Um, and I just like stuff adds complexity in my life. Like I'm so happy now that I don't have to see like a car insurance payment every month and think about like, Oh, I got to negotiate that. Or like, I got to change my oil or damn, I have to get gas now. Or what if somebody, especially with I the Corvette, that. I was always worried. Like, what if someone hits my car? No, one's going to buy a Corvette that's crashed. So then I'm screwed. I'm stuck with this car forever and the value is going to decline and I need to park away from people so that they don't ding it. Like not having to worry about stuff is so liberating to me. And I know like yeah. not everybody, that's not for everybody, but I don't think like, I think eventually I will buy like a really nice house, but it'll still be small. It'll just be really nice, nice location, whatever. I can't wait. Um, to but I don't think I'll ever have like Lamborghini uh, or anything like that. Uh, what was that? I can't wait to have kids. <laughs> They're going to change your life. I, uh, I, um, yeah, I don't know when that'll be, but yeah. um, <laughs> that might change. Like, yeah, things might change once I, once yeah. I have kids and their stuff's everywhere. No, um, there's definitely, I mean, we're going to have a strict rule. Like anytime we buy a toy, you got to get rid of a toy. All right. I feel that. Man, I'm, I can't wait to see. <laughs> that's what I do now. Them. If I buy a new shirt or something, I got to get rid of one. That's actually brilliant. That's a great idea. Hmm. I need to, I need to, uh, implement that into my life. My thing is, is like, I, so it's funny because I actually understand you a lot when it comes to that, like how you live in, cause like, that's how I used to be. Like, dude, if you were to walk, like pre me dating Leah, if you were to walk into my apartment, the, like up until I moved to Colorado, I did not own a couch or any form of chair outside of my office chair in my whole entire apartment for two years. No couch, no chairs, no nothing. We had two bar stools and then this chair and that was it. My living room was my office, Right. The, the second bedroom was a recording studio. All I had was a TV stand, a TV, and a bed in my bedroom. I had like $20 plastic drawers from Walmart, right? So like I feel that, that minimalistic lifestyle. And then like Leah got a hold of my life and came into it. And now I walk into my apartment and it is like freaking so comfortable. And it's so wonderful. You, you haven't been over since. We got all our couches now. We got all this. I'm like, yo, actually, this is great. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. I, I feel that nice lifestyle. Stuff. Just not a lot of stuff. Yeah, like I'd, yeah. I'd rather spend a lot to have something that takes up less space um, yeah. just because I like to be like, I like the feeling of like, there's not a lot to manage in my life. Yeah. And I, I hate like when you have all these different things to manage and you constantly have to be doing these like personal errands because there's like, you got to get the like, dude, I had two cars at one point. I had the Corvette and I had a Corolla at the same time. Yeah, I remember that. And you two, um, especially just depending on the state you live two annual inspections, two registration yeah, to that. do, two oil changes to do every three or four months. Got, like you get into one, you fill up one, and then you get into the other one, and that one's empty. <laughs> so much work, like yeah. so much, so many things to worry about. Yeah. So I love the simplicity of like, dude, if I need to go somewhere, I pull out an Uber or I'll walk or I'll, I'll there's a free bus here too that takes you right, right up 
downtown. So I love the simplicity of my life and my my t-shirts, my wardrobe, yeah. because my business is super complex. Like there's so much shit. That so I can't on. also have a complex life, life as well. It just wouldn't work. I feel that. And dude, it's funny as we kind of bring the wrap this up here. Um, like my life has changed changed dramatically too, right? Literally just recently, October 1st, um, Cashflow Tactics. I'm their director of marketing guy. So we got the podcast that we're running. But like I'm nice. running all the, all their stuff um, for them, which is super. So we got the podcast, which is now. So, hey, thank you, by the way, for being episode number one of season three. So we're moving down from three episodes a week that were like an hour long interviews down to two episodes a week. But they're all two hour plus interviews. So they're all super, super in depth, like Joe Rogan style type stuff. And so for the next like 18 months, I was like, all right, I want to go through that. I don't want to be a podcast with Think Different Theory. Like, I mean, yes, I have a podcast, but I want Think Different Theory to be more than that. Like, I want it to be really educational focused. I like really, you know, big picture stuff, stuff, stuff. So like for the next 18 months, I'm going to write a, like, we're going to be building a curriculum and like actually going through and interviewing people and everything like that. And so I was like, man, if I'm going to be trying to grow the podcast and I'm going to be trying to write this curriculum and trying to do all that, I was like, I got to simplify other areas of my life. Like you said, so like my, I have a really strict schedule in like my personal life, but when it comes to like revenue and stuff, I I'm working with Brad now or, and cashflow doing all their director marketing stuff because I get to step into an already existing business. And I only have one responsibility. Like, I'm like, how do I make as much money as I possibly can as marketing? And I'll get, you know, straight commission off of, you know, whatever I sell from them. Cause I'm not an employee of theirs, right? Like I still own my company and we like, we still run it, but I'm like, I get to now work inside of a fully functioning, fully running business that does, you know, 10, $20 million a year in revenue. And all I have to do is focus on marketing and what I do best so that the variables in life, the complexity of things I can focus on where I want to focus on that. Because you're right. I do think there's only so much complexity you can have in your life before you get overwhelmed. You've got to have balance in other areas of your life. If you're super complex in one area, I agree with that. Right. Yeah. So dude, I appreciate your time. Thanks for being on here. It was a great discussion. Dude, it was fun. It's blue, blue by. <laughs> yeah two hours like that uh any any last words anything that you want to say nah man just uh go live your fucking life regardless of your skin color regardless of your beliefs and just be nice be nice to people be nice be nice to people i like that <laughs> I, um are you gonna vote i won't ask um, who you're gonna vote in, for mail in yeah mail in, mail in vote let's go vote i don't care who you vote for I don't even care if you don't know vote for people. I I like just go vote. Like let your voice be heard. Like it's just important this year. Like it just really is. JR, thanks so much for your time, dude. Guys, as always, hustle, hustle, right. grab Don't be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are gonna be the ones to change the world. We're back for season three. We got some sweet people coming up. We're trying to be super diverse. We got people from all over the board coming. JR, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs>